Hello and welcome to the 19th episode of The Rate Debate. I'm Darren Langer and joining me is my co-portfolio manager, Chris Rands. Hello, everyone. Well, it's the first Tuesday of August and that means the RBA has just met. And really, the the RBA was firmly unchanged, probably surprising the market a little bit. Uh, There was quite a bit of speculation that the RBA may delay tapering uh, quantitative easing cuts that they were proposing for September. And in some parts of the market, there was even speculation that they may well increase it. But it looks like we're um, staying at the the 4 billion mark and... um, you know, they, they, they really seem quite comfortable, despite um, half the country being locked down again, that uh, this will be a, a temporary phenomenon. What did you think, Chris? Yeah, I think the idea that it's going to be temporary is the thing that jumped out the most to me when they kicked off their statement. This is actually what they said at the very start of it, that the experience to date has been that once virus outbreaks are contained, the economy bounces back quickly. So I think from just reading that statement, you're seeing an RBA who's saying, yes, New South Wales might be in lockdown, but that doesn't disturb our forecasts for 2022 and 2023. So we just continue on as planned. Yeah, they they certainly seem to think that the new fiscal stimulus package that was announced by the federal government and the various state governments will be enough to tide over the economy during these slowdowns. I guess the test will be is is how much longer are we going to be in lockdown? I mean, we've just seen Queensland now also joining the the club, early days for them. Um, New South Wales, still 200 cases a day. It's pretty hard to sort of see exactly how we're not going to have a really big contraction in GDP and maybe even an increase in unemployment over the next couple of uh, months. So it, it's quite a quite a gamble by the RBA given that um, they don't really know what's going to happen. Yeah, and I think one of the other interesting things that kind of comes off the back of that idea is that from the information that was in the statement today, it certainly looks like they're actually upgrading their forecast slightly. So in the statement, they said that they've got the unemployment rate to be 4.5% by the end of 2022 and 4% by the end of 2023. I don't quite remember seeing them that low. So it's actually a bit of an improvement. And I think as you kind of said, it's it's hard to kind of see where those figures would come from at the moment, which again, just comes back to the RBA is just looking straight through this at the moment, which might be a little bit of a gamble, but you know, it could also turn out to be correct. We, we just kind of need to wait to see how long this lockdown lasts and what it looks like as we come out of it. Sure. I mean, we'd been thinking that the market was perhaps a little bit optimistic in forecasting rate rises um, prior to 2024. Um, even though the RBA, as you said, sounds a little bit more optimistic today, they're still sticking to that 2024 date as the uh, liftoff for tightening cash rates. Given that they were a little bit more optimistic in their timing today, do you think you know we're going to see any sort of change to that time frame in, in the near future, or, or do you think um, they're still pretty comfortable with 2024 and it's probably the market that will move back towards the RBA? Yeah, that that that's an interesting one. I I, I guess I, I think when when I look at what the RBA has been saying, they've now used that 2024 language very consistently over the past 12 months. So if they wanted to to kind of show that things were getting better, I'm, I'm sure they could very easily move that language forward. You know, I'm kind of with you. I, I would have thought that they would have been more inclined to put QE back to where it was and just leave it and, and, and give it another maybe three to six months and then figure out what they're doing. So the fact that they're... Um, 
not doing that and continuing with the tapering might even kind of embolden, I guess, a few in the market to to keep their 2023 forecast because it shows that, you know, that the RBA is looking straight through this and, you know, they're not going to be as reactive to some of these things that perhaps we thought they would be when, when we kind of started thinking that this lockdown would knock them off course very quickly. Yeah, one of the things I think um, that sort of concerns me is a little bit is that there's a lot of speculation both by the RBA and the government that all we need to do is get the population vaccinated and we'll be back to sort of a more normal set of conditions in, in once that happens. But but realistically, you know, COVID's a global issue. You know, it's pretty short-sighted to think just vaccinating our population is likely to to solve the problem completely. Yes, we're likely to get better antiviral medication in the next couple of months starting to hit the shores. We're probably going to see better vaccines. But given that there's a, still a vast population globally that aren't vaccinated, the virus is likely to continue to mutate going forward until we actually start addressing that problem. And it's really hard for me to see that we're not likely to see something come out of left field. I mean, the Delta variant was obviously something nobody no, nobody saw coming. You know, is there still something six months down track or, or another year as we, we head into next winter that we suddenly see something else appear that we weren't expecting? And that doesn't seem to be in anybody's forecasts. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with, with that a lot, you know, the the kind of I guess anecdote for me when when thinking about some of these these things was you know I was recently trying to look at the Pfizer vaccine and I'm 34 in New South Wales and when I googled where I can get it it told me that there's just no supplies to go away so to think that if we can just get everyone vaccinated relatively quickly we're going to open and everything's going to be okay it, it kind of feels like that's a bit odd just from the idea that it can't even be supplied to me at the moment, even if I wanted to get it. Now I can get the AstraZeneca, that, that's kind of still there, but given the the information campaign that came out at the start of the vaccination progress, it, it just kind of feels like that's going to hamper it a little bit. The other thing that kind of sits in my head when, when you bring up those ideas is that ever since I've been in the market, I've been told that QE ending has been 12 months away, you know, whether it's the Federal Reserve, whether it's the BOJ, whether it's the ECB. And every time they've tried to end it, something has come left field like you talk about. So it might not even be COVID related that that knocks it and changes the course. And I kind of look at these things and just say, well, there is the expectation from the market that they want it to end early. Just how feasible that is after 10 years of other countries trying is to me a still huge huge question mark that kind of goes back to what you say of, yes, the mean outcome might be for a very positive outlook into the future, but it's hard to kind of say with certainty that that's going to occur. I guess we'll see in 12 months, eh? (laughs) (laughs) I I guess it's a good point to sort of bring up, you know, how we think about um, making sort of forecasts. And and I guess we don't really make forecasts, but we think about possibilities out into the future. It might be a good time to talk about how we actually formulate putting good news possibilities and, you know, potentially bad news possibilities together and coming up with a an idea of where we think the economy is likely to go and, and what's likely to happen over the next 12 months. Yeah, generally when we put our forecast together, we, we kind of, I guess, don't really think of it as a single point. So to say, you know, 10-year yields are going to be exactly 1.4% because getting that point 
is extremely hard to be correct. The, the way that we try to do it is to kind of come up with the scenarios that we think are most likely, whether it's positive or negative, and then assign some probability to that occurring so that we can kind of get a, a range of outcomes rather than just a one-off number. And, you know, if you put that in context of where we are at the moment, maybe you say, if everything goes to plan, we do have a 4% unemployment rate at the end of 2023. And we believe that's going to happen with X probability. But alternatively, we could say, you know, the vaccination program doesn't quite get rolled out correctly. Maybe there's new strains that come. And in that scenario, you know, bond yields are going to be a completely different level. So rather than just focusing on one single outcome, what we try to do is kind of spread it out. And that gives us a pretty good range. And sometimes that kind of probably makes us feel a little bit more negative than the market because we're bringing things up that maybe others don't really want to hear too much. But it is important, I think, to kind of stress the different directions that things can go so that you're thinking about where you can be wrong as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's partly why we, we're never so certain that we know exactly what's going to happen. We think there's a range of possibilities and each one of those, as, as you say, has a certain probability. We adjust those probabilities based on how we're, we're seeing things evolve and that will change outcomes. But at the moment, that's one of the big problems we have is that based on what we think is going to happen, we think, you know, rates and uh, and certainly conditions are probably pretty fair at the moment. So it's very hard to sort of get too excited or, or, or too negative about about the, the rate market because of those conditions. Yeah. And I think kind of one other thing that, that we discussed just as this kind of this news came out where the RBA did say the experience to date has been that once the virus is contained, the economy bounces back. It's kind of a little bit, I think, hard at the moment to read too much into that because we've got one kind of outcome to look at, which was last year, and, and to carry that forward. So I think for us, we kind of look at that and say, well, yes, that happened last year, but it's still a big question whether that happens again. And I guess you pencil that in as occurring, but it's, it's certainly not a 100% done deal that that's the way it's going to have to happen next year as well. The housing market, Chris, continues to run pretty hard-driven mostly by owner-occupiers, there's been a lot of speculation as to whether APRA or the RBA would actually try and stop that. The way I sort of see it at the moment is that housing is one of the truly positive things that's keeping the economy on track and keeping people relatively, uh, I guess, happy with their lot in life. One of the things you know we've both talked about in the past is that any tightening in financial conditions is likely to undo some of that gain. A rate hike is likely to also further erode some of those gains. Is it the the golden goose the RBA and uh, the and APRA don't want to kill? It certainly looks that way at the moment. You know, I, I think every month you basically see one and a half percent house price increases, and you know, you kind of sit there looking at it, and and there's no real sign that it's going to end. When I think about the way that APRA and maybe the RBA are coming at this at the moment, probably more APRA. If you look back to 2015 when APRA tried to slow the housing market at that point in time, that was because a huge percentage of the new loans being written were investor loans. And I guess the feeling is that if investors are doing it, it's more for speculative purposes and therefore we need to kind of cut down on it far faster. If you look at the borrowing at the moment, most of it is coming through the owner-occupied segment and that the investor finance as a percentage of total loans is actually at a relatively small percentage. So to me, it feels like what they're saying is that as long as it's owner-occupied doing this, 
we're comfortable with it. And given that the data seems to just keep suggesting that it's owner occupiers, it, it doesn't seem like they're going to be ready to step in. And so that kind of says to me, when I was looking at my figures, there's probably another 5 to 10% left in it if they let it run. What's interesting to me is the, the counter side of that is that if we do start to see conditions tighten, and this is probably more related to Sydney, but but is equally applicable in in most places with with most mortgages, well not mortgages, but most houses being worth anywhere from a million to two million dollars in Sydney these days. Even a twenty percent decline is going to knock somewhere between two hundred thousand and uh, four hundred thousand off the value of people's net wealth. And it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in terms of how people feel about their um you know their lot in life i guess you know when those um conditions actually come to fruition yeah and definitely if you look at i guess a very simple metric that i've used in the past is if the house prices are falling the rba has cut that's held true for the past 10 years typically what you'll see is that the rba seems to step in when house prices are down about 5 to 10%. you know if they were to hike rates and then you were, you were thinking that maybe 10% could come off the housing market it kind of then becomes a little bit counterintuitive of well what are they actually doing because normally this is when they step in to give some help. so it is kind of hard to think about it at the moment but everything that i see just says that they're happy to let it go and they'll figure that out later. the thing that could really offset a lot of this, though, is wages. You know, normally when we look at this as rates go up, you're going to be paying more on your on your mortgage, and that's the thing that kind of really causes the pain to come through, which then means if wages grow fast enough, we can offset some of that. Part of the reason the RBA is saying 2024 and as the timing for when they're going to hike rates potentially is that's when they see wages growth coming. And that's really off the back of that unemployment rate forecast that I gave before, where they're now saying unemployment rate hits 4% by 2023. I guess if we were to look at it, how far and fast would those wages need to rise to really offset some of what we're talking about here? A lot more than I reckon we're probably going to get, given uh, the last 10 years of history. This is one of the problems I have with the the whole sort of outlook for wages. Um, we haven't found a way of lifting wages in any way, shape or form uh, over the last 10 years. We've got an artificial construct at the moment where we have unemployment extremely low because we have no net migration in the country. But there's a lot of people forecasting wages to go up a considerable amount. If we reopen the economy somehow and we get that net migration back, I, I just can't see the catalyst for higher wages if we're suddenly getting supply in, in that market. I think to offset you know, that 200000 to $500,000 drop in net wealth, wages probably need to be a lot higher than even what the RBA is forecasting. And, you know, I just think the conditions going forward would be very difficult to get us even to that level. To kind of, I guess, follow on from that, something that kind of, I guess, sits in my head when I think about some of these things is that, you know, we, we keep kind of talking, look how strong the unemployment rate is. That should start converting into wages sometime soon. And yet we go into this this uh, lockdown and job savers instantly needed to make sure that there's no job losses. So even though we're talking about wages starting to accelerate, we, we still at the same time require the backstop from the federal government being in place to, to keep people employed. So that's kind of what makes it a little bit hard for me to see just how this is going to, to I guess, open up and show that wages growth when clearly the conditions that we're in at the moment are, are not conducive to that occurring. I, I can't disagree with that. We're never going to get a, a really good handle on the economy until all of the government stimulus and, and all of the artificial constraints, well, not constraints, but you know, artificial amounts being added to the economy by the government and the 
and the government sector in general are removed. And then we get an idea whether the economy is actually alive on its own or whether it's just there on life support. And, and that's one of the hardest things. And as you said, with quantitative easing now having been in place for 10 years in places and even more offshore, are we actually going to get those conditions to, to find out whether the Australian economy can get back on its feet all by itself? Well, that's it for this month. Tune in next month when we deliver our latest thoughts on the RBA September rate decision and provide an update on what's been happening in markets. Until then, stay safe. The portfolio manager's views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily reflective of the wider Yarra Capital Management Group. The Rate Debate podcast content may contain general advice. Before acting on anything in this podcast, you should consider your own objectives, financial situation or needs and seek the advice of an appropriately qualified financial advisor. Any actions based on information within this podcast are strictly at your own risk. Any mention of past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance.